This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Republicans on Friday blocked the creation of an independent commission to investigate the January 6th Capitol riot, using their filibuster power in the Senate for the first time this year to doom a full accounting for the deadliest attack on Congress in centuries. In the very chamber where the insurrection took place, Dozens of Senate Republicans voted to block an independent commission to investigate the January 6th attack. The motion is not agreed to. With the vast majority of Republicans determined to shield their party from potential political damage that could come from scrutiny of the storming of the Capitol by a pro-Trump mob, only six GOP senators joined Democrats to support advancing the measure. The final vote? 54 to 35 fell short of the 60 senators needed to move forward. This vote has made it official. Donald Trump's big lie has now fully enveloped the Republican Party. I can't imagine anyone voting against the establishment of the commission on the greatest assault since the Civil War on the, on the Capitol. The vote was a stinging defeat for proponents of the commission who had argued that it was the only way to assemble a truly comprehensive account of the riot for a polarized nation. Modeled after the inquiry into the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks, the proposed panel of experts would have been responsible for producing a report on the assault and recommendations to secure Congress by the end of the year. If we set up this commission, I think the basic goal of our Democratic friends is to keep relitigating in public what happened back on January 6th rather than getting to a quick solution through arrests of those who did it and security adjustments to make sure it never happens again. The irony of all of this is uh, there's going to be an investigation into January 6th. There's no question about it. Either Nancy Pelosi is going to do it through her standing committees, through one of the investigatory committees she already has stood up, or they're going to create a select committee. There's no way out of this Congress, Chuck, without an investigation. But the difference is those investigations are not going to have any Republican involvement. So Republicans have ceded their involvement, involvement, and they're betting that they could make the case publicly that the investigations that will happen are just Partisan. Though Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said he would continue to support criminal cases against the rioters and stand by his unflinching criticisms of Donald Trump, the commission's defeat is expected to embolden the former president at a time when he has once again ramped up circulation of his most baseless and debunked claims. We have a very sick and corrupt electoral process that must be fixed immediately. This election was rigged, and the Supreme Court and other courts didn't want to do anything about it. They didn't have the courage, the Supreme Court. You take a look at the votes. When you have more votes than you have people, that's a problem, right? Is that a problem? In Pennsylvania, they had hundreds of thousands of more votes than they had people voting. What's that all about? What's that all about? Cheating, they say. Yeah, I'd say so. But it's one of those things. But who knows? Who knows? I may even decide to beat them for a third time, okay? Donald Trump's desperation here is palpable as he faces near certain indictment from the Manhattan District Attorney. Despite this, Trump continues to blanket his supporters with misinformation and outright fucking lies. 
in a matter of months, Trump's lies have succeeded in completely warping the views of GOP supporters who view President Biden as illegitimate, inspired a rash of new voting restrictions in Republican-led states, and a chaotic recount in Arizona denounced by both parties and fueled efforts by Republican members of Congress to downplay and reframe the Capitol insurrection as some benign event akin to a normal tourist visit. Incoherence. No idea what you're talking about. Ben Gaza, you guys chased the former Secretary of State all over the country, spent millions of dollars. We have people scaling the Capitol, hitting the Capitol Police with lead pipes across the head, and we can't get bipartisanship. What else has to happen in this country? Cops. This is a slap in the face to every rank and file cop in the United States. If we're going to take on China, if we're going to rebuild the country, if we're going to reverse climate change, we need two political parties in this country that are both living in reality, and you ain't one of them. We all know what's going on here. Senate Republicans chose to defend the big lie because they believe anything that might upset Donald Trump could hurt them politically. We've all lived through the horrors of January 6th. I was no further than 30 feet from those white supremacist hooligans. Do my Republican colleagues remember that day? Do my Republican colleagues remember the savage mob calling for the execution of Mike Pence? The makeshift gallows outside the Capitol? Men with bulletproof vests and zip ties breaking into the Senate gallery and rifling through your desks. Police officers crushed between doorways. Shame on the Republican Party for trying to sweep the horrors of that day under the rug because they're afraid of Donald Trump. Democrats rightly denounced the vote as a cowardly cover-up. They warned Republicans that preventing an independent inquiry led by five commissioners appointed by Democrats and five by Republicans would not shield them from confronting the implications of Donald Trump's attacks on the democratic process. I don't know why they haven't started subpoenaing things right now. I said on January 7th they should be subpoenaing Donald Trump's phone records that day and earlier, the organizers at the rally. All of the people who were involved, you think about all of the texts and the messages that went back and forth to the White House on that day to do something. We need to have a very distinct timeline, and that can start today with existing committees with the effort to then turn it over to a commission down the road. If you were to peer into a crystal ball for a preview of what the GOP will become, look no further than Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene's America First Freak Show revival that is currently touring Magaland. The two of them have combined their noxious superpowers and hit the road. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your Congresswoman, Marjorie Taylor Trump has to run again, right? This is too special. It's too fun. It's too good. Marjorie, why are the Democrats always having such a bad time? I mean, in theory, they control the government. They control the presidency. They got the House and the Senate, but they're always so angry. They're always wanting to be vicious and cancel people. Jokes aren't allowed to be funny anymore. People aren't allowed to be 
loose and having a good time. And so I, I guess, you know, we need to show the people in the country that if they want to be happy and patriotic, this is the place they belong. Gates is bidding his time before he's indicted for child sex trafficking and a host of other charges while Green is busy being fucking insane. You know, we can look back in a time in history where people were told to wear a gold star and they were definitely treated like second class citizens, so much so that they were put in trains and taken to gas chambers in Nazi Germany. And this is exactly the type of abuse that Nancy Pelosi is talking about. Despite her Nazi shtick and getting booted off all her committees, the freshman congresswoman still managed to raise over $3 million in the first quarter of the year. The result is the next evolution in the MAGA life cycle. Trump may be done as a candidate, but the next generation is doing just fine, thank you very much. Not to scare you, but this is what's coming if the GOP takes over the House. Isn't it obvious to the establishment and the America last media right now, it's our ideas, America first, that fills the stadiums and the halls and the ballrooms and the prairies all across this great land. We're not going back to the days of the Bushes and the McCains and the Romneys. Our way, America first, is the way forward for America. It's the end result of the devolution of politics. In an era where all that matters is the next soundbite and crazy for the sake of crazy, Gates and Green certainly did not disappoint. The internet's hall monitors out in Silicon Valley, they think they can suppress us, discourage us. Maybe if you're just a little less patriotic, maybe if you just conform to their way of thinking a little more, that you'll be allowed to participate in the digital world. Well, you know what? Silicon Valley can't cancel this movement or this rally or this congressman. We have a second amendment in this country, and I think we have an obligation to use it. The Jihad Squad, AOC, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and the rest of the gang, they support Hamas bombing Israel. You know what else they support? Antifa, BLM, thugs, domestic terrorists fighting our people, burning our cities, attacking our police, of police officers. That's who they support. Having learned precisely zero lessons from the Capitol riot, Gates spouted off about armed rebellion. After whining about conservatives being canceled, or in other words, being removed from social media for inciting hate and violence, the Congress moved on to talk about the Second Amendment. It's not about, it's not about hunting, it's not about recreation, it's not about sports. The Second Amendment is about maintaining within the citizenry the ability to maintain an armed rebellion against the government if that becomes necessary. What we're witnessing is politics as professional wrestling. There's so much to mock. It's almost like an overload. And doing real commentary on politics today, you're doing commentary on pro wrestling. Like, this is a rigged game. And you're out here pretending like this shit makes sense. The economic system that's been set up around politics is the very same that Vince McMahon set up around wrestling. Or worse, politics as described in the eerily prescient Matt Judge film, Idiocracy. I know she's bad right now with all that starving bullshit and the dust storms and we running out of french fries and burrito coverings. Yeah. But I got a solution. That's what you said last time, dipshit. I got a solution. You're a dick. 
countless times that what really frightens me is the prospect of a smarter, slicker, more capable Donald Trump. But this downmarket version of a MAGA rally is its polar opposite. It's the franchising of the MAGA experience as entertainment and identity. Cowardice. Are you serious? Apologies for freedom. I can't handle this. When freedom brings shoulders USA enemies of freedom face the music come on boys take them down if you have hate in your heart and fear the future you no longer have to wait for Donald Trump Gates and Green are presaging an era when this type of racist popularism is as readily available as going to your nearest Dave and Buster's Step up, folks, drop off the kids for chicken wings, and take your wife to the rally to scream about immigrants. It's a fun day out for the whole family. In the time of chimpanzees, I was a monkey. Butane in my veins and a mouth that kept the chuggy with the plastic eyeballs. Spray paint the vegetables, dog food stalls with the beefcake pantyhose. And now for the main event. If the thought of the GOP retaking the house in 2022 has you up at night with a cold sweat, you're not alone. The idea that there is a mass of populist anger banging at the door for blood is terrifying. My first glimpse of this in a real way was the Capitol riot. There is in its most elemental form was the MAGA ideology. All its anger, all its hate, all its racism and superstition and ignorance. All of it was on display that day. Worse was how right they thought that they were. How entitled they believed they were to be heard. That whatever was coming next had betrayed them because they did not grant their permission for it to happen. Their worst fear had come true. They were being replaced. So they showed us their rage and delivered a warning. You are not safe. You will not ignore us. It's a terrifying thought to know that this could easily happen again. My next guest on Mea Culpa has a long countered this ugly and evil message with his nightly CNN show, Don Lemon Tonight. In January 2018, Lemon laid down the gauntlet when he opened his show with, This is CNN Tonight. I'm Don Lemon. The President of the United States is racist. In short order, he became Trump's enemy number one, an example of all that was wrong with the lying liberal media. It also made him the target of white supremacists. But Lemon would not be deterred and continued to act as a truth teller, stating later that year in response to Trump's continued demonization of migrant caravans, we have to stop demonizing people and realize that the biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized to the right, and we have to start doing something about them. There is no travel ban on them. Conservative heads exploded with rage, cementing Don Lemon as the voice and conscious of this new Trump resistance. 
He is the winner of the prestigious Edward R. Murrow Award for his coverage of the DC Sniper in 2002 and the recipient of three Emmys. His new book, This is the Fire, is an ode to James Baldwin and captures the difficult conversations around race he has with his friends, as well as the legacy of racism and how it shaped him as a person. Lemon joins us on Maya Culpa as the GOP Senate abdicates its duties on investigating January 6th, and we speak widely about his book, James Baldwin, and how frightened he is of the modern GOP. So let's listen now to that conversation. Your new book, This is the Fire, was inspired by the James Baldwin book entitled The Fire Next Time. Both examine racism and its effect on society, as well as its roots and causes. Now, I'm curious, channeling Baldwin as you were, what do you think James Baldwin would have made of Trumpism and the MAGA agenda? Not just the racism, but the gaslighting and the conservative victimhood. Well, uh, I think that he, well, he was already inspiring people, I think, from beyond um, with what he wrote about um, when he was alive. He was a trailblazer and, um, and a, a maverick then. Um, I, I think that he would be astonished by it. He would um, speak out vehemently about it. Uh, I don't think that you would be able, Michael, to contain him and to contain his vitriol for the gaslighting, for the lying, for the racism, for the bigotry, for the xenophobia, the homophobia, all of it. I think that it would have enraged him and it would have um, there was I'm sure there would be a book in there somewhere. But you would be seeing him all over cable news and any other venue talking about just how ridiculous the times that we're living in are. And he would say, I wrote I said the fire next time I think he would have said, which is the reason I wrote the book. This is the fire. I think he would have said, we're in the fire right now. And look, don't get me wrong. I don't fancy myself a James Baldwin. I want people to know that. I don't think that I am as, uh, as a, a, he's a literary genius. I'm not that prolific and that even smart to be able to live up to James Baldwin. But I did my best. And he was an inspiration. And the book is an ode to him. So I would actually think, which is part of the reason for the title of my book, that he would say, we're in this damn fire right now, Michael. Well, do me a favor, if you would, for my guests, explain who James Baldwin was and why he inspired you the way that you did. Because on CNN, on your show, which, you know, um, I've been on many times and I enjoy your show, you're very much into talking about racism Mm -hmm. and the systemic racism that Trumpism has brought to this country Mm -hmm. through his vitriolic speeches and through his actions. So if you would give a little background on James, because I'm personally interested in terms of why you ended up choosing him as the um, reason for your James Baldwin was a literary genius. He was a black man from Harlem who happened to be gay, who came of age in the uh, 40s and 50s. And then started writing, really uh, became um, a prominence in the 1960s uh, with works like Another Country, Just Above My Head, Tell Me How Long the, the Train's Been Gone, The Price of the Ticket, and of course, The Fire Next Time, which was probably one of his best-selling books, uh, Another Country as well. So James Baldwin wrote about being black in America and uh, was just it, it, the brilliance that he spoke about it. Uh, that he wrote about it with was just uh, people had never seen or read anything like the words that he put on paper. And and he was also famous, if you want to know, in popular culture 
uh, from his debates with William F. Buckley that you can find on YouTube, where he would just dress down uh, William F. Buckley, uh, conservatives, racists, uh, where he would explain to them, um, you know, what his thinking was and why um, they were blind to the racism that was happening uh, in America. And so The Fire Next Time became one of the best-selling books of all time. Uh, Another Country became another one. Um, And I started out reading James Baldwin. I was coming to terms with my sexuality at LSU down south in Louisiana, Michael. And someone that the first guy that I started dating handed me Giovanni's Room, which is a book by James Baldwin where he's living in Paris and he's having an affair with this man. And if you read it, you would think like some, you know, blonde haired American guy wasp had written the book. And then you come to find out it was this, you know, brown skinned black man who was writing this book. And it just showed you his talent because never in the book would you even think that anybody it was anything to, it was black or anything. And so I started to read that and it was just such a beautiful book, Giovanni's Room. And after I put that book down, I, I picked up The Fire Next Time and then was just transfixed and transformed by, by it. And then I read everything in the Baldwin canon. Okay, so long story short. The Fire Next Time had the biggest impact on me, Michael, than any other book that I've written. And James Baldwin's writings and that book, the biggest impact on me as it, when it comes to racism and homophobia or just being gay. And so during the pandemic, when all of this was happening, I was feeling guilty about the world that I was going to leave to my, nep- my great nephews to inherit. And I couldn't be with them because we were all in quarantine. I couldn't show my affection or my love and my adoration for him, for them. So I sat down, as James Baldwin did in The Fire Next Time. He starts off with a letter to his nephew on the 100th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation. And he starts by saying, you and I both know that we're celebrating 100 years of freedom, 100 years too soon. And so I started with that concept. And when I wrote that letter to my great nephew, saying to him that I want him to be able to accept his beauty and his blackness and whatever it is that he wanted to do with an ease that I never mastered at his age and even at my own age. The book just poured out from there. Interesting. Now, one part of the book that baffled me was when you wrote that we're witnessing the death throes of white supremacy. How do you square that notion with the sight of Confederate flag insurrectionists storming the Capitol to try to take back the government and an election that they were told was stolen from them? Wait, get a load of this, right? This is your words, by black people. Explain that one. Well, of course it was stolen from the black people. Look at look at where, you know, they're saying, look at where they're contesting. It's mostly areas, if not all, you know, Arizona, but but areas that have high, diverse populations, mostly black people. Look at Georgia. Look at Pennsylvania. Look at all of these. Look at uh, Michigan, Detroit. All of these areas are black areas. And so he's he is leaning into that whole trope about black people being thieves and stealing and you can't trust them right that's what that is and his you know the his supporters are falling for it because they think that they're worried that they're no longer going to be the preeminent voice in the country right that that things aren't going to be the way that they used to that they won't have the privilege that they that they've had for since America has been, if you want to say, quote unquote, founded. But the reason that we had an insurrection, that's proof of my point. The reason that we had those people out there fighting tooth and nail, because they see the demographics of the country changing. 
they see the country becoming more diverse. And they're concerned that white people won't be the preeminent voice and culture in this country anymore. That scares them. Why does it scare them? Because they don't really know black people. They've been taught to fear black people. They haven't, um, they haven't explored um, people, knowing people, having relationships and friendships with people who don't look like them. They have been uh, a victim, so to speak, of white flight. They've been a victim of political rhetoric, of racist rhetoric, of people who are telling them, hey, listen, no one's looking out for you anymore. And so that's, yes, we're in the death throes. By sheer numbers, by 2040, we're going to be a minority-majority country. And that scares the hell out of a lot of people. Why? Because they think if the minority becomes the majority, then that new majority will do to them what the old majority did to the minority, which is ludicrous, but which is ludicrous. It's never going to happen. That's not our country doesn't work that way. And I've been on your show and so many other shows, and I call it the loss of the status quo, which is really what's inciting this craziness into people's ideology. And Trump was so damn good at figuring out the message in order to spark the the flames inside the belly of these white supremacists, which is, of course, is why he never, ever repudiated the likes of David Duke or white supremacy when they were marching in Charlottesville screaming, Jews will not replace us. He didn't have the guts. He just didn't have the guts to go ahead and to call these people out for who they are. And that's because, again, he saw somewhere in himself Right, this loss of the status <laughs> well, quo, and you're right. In it's it scared the shit out of him. So I, listen, I don't even know if he didn't have the guts, Michael. I think that he was. Uh, it was on purpose that he he was doing exactly what he wanted to do. It wasn't that he didn't have the guts to stand up to it? Because if he if he thought that it would help him, he would have stood up to it. He's transactional, and I think he may. He, I think he's a transactional racist. But beyond that, he's transactional about anything as you know better than anybody in this conversation, the both of us, <laughs> that anything that helps him, he's going to lean into it and he's going to exploit it. So, yeah, I think that he is a racist in real life, but I think he's a tra- this was transactional racism because it, it, if he thought that it was going to help him to, to stay in power uh, and to continue to be the president of the United States uh, in a second chance at, uh, at a second term, I think that he would have denounced it. If there were, you know, if 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 he thought that he would win by doing that and it would keep him in power, he would have denounced it. But that doesn't mean that I don't think that he is racist. I think he's transactional and I do think that he is. racist. Well, I, I do think and not that I think I know. he is. Yes. And I was going to say that he is racist. I was very clear when I stood up before the Honorable Elijah Cummings, God rest his soul. And I I came right out and I said it. Donald Trump is a racist. And I've used, even in my book, Disloyal, I've used the example of when we were in Chicago and we were driving to the Trump International Hotel and Tower um, in Chicago for a board meeting. And as we went through a what can only be described as an extremely poor neighborhood, I remember Trump just turned over and he looked at me and he said, Michael, only the blacks can live this way. And I said to him, Mr. Trump, many people live in poor neighborhoods like this. And it was really, it was, it was a tough neighborhood, right? And he turns around and he yeah. goes, no, no, just the blacks. And I sat there and I realized at that point, I mean, this was coming from a place 
of real darkness, right? And I'm not so sure yeah. I could even tell you why he even said it. It didn't make any sense. There was no need to even engage in that conversation, but he felt he needed to get that off his chest. And I still to this day don't know why. Summertime means one thing to me, backyard barbecues and hanging out with friends and family. I love to cook and I love to cook outside. For me, Father's Day was always the official kickoff to the summer grilling season. It's when all the dads would gather, generations of Cohen men, and sit around the grill, talk smack to one another, drink a beer, and stuff ourselves like kings with red meat. This year, unfortunately, will be different. I'm under freaking house arrest. That means no backyard barbecue or going to the butcher shop. But before you sound that sad trombone, I got this massive box of Omaha steaks shipped right to my home. I may not have a backyard that I can travel to, but I got a small balcony and a grill pan so that the barbecue is still on. The party just comes to me. If I never eat anything other than those 10-ounce New York fillets, I'll die a happy man. Plus, having this stuff shipped to your home is insanely convenient. Just order what you want online and bam, you got all kinds of meat. So take my advice, do for your dad what Omaha just did for me, and send him a box of meat and watch how happy it makes him. Go to omahasteaks.com, type Cohen in the search bar, and order dad the get out and grill assortment. It includes 20 entrees he's guaranteed to love, like ultra juicy burgers, plum chicken breasts, sides, desserts, and four 10 ounce butcher cut New York strips. These strips are aged 30 days, and why is that important? Age equals tenderness. Plus, get four free New York strip burgers with your order. These are ultra lean and pack a bold, intense flavor. Omaha Steaks isn't just steak. It's the best steak of your life, guaranteed. Visit omahasteaks.com, keyword Cohen, and order the Get Out and Grill assortment today. Send Dad more than just a gift. Send him an experience he'll love and can share with you. And don't forget, for a limited time, get four free New York strip burgers with your order. That's omahasteaks.com, keyword Cohen. But I I think it's not even that. I think it also comes from a place of ignorance as well. Because if you travel around this country, and uh, when he was running, I'm sure he did. I've seen some poor neighborhoods where black people don't live, where white people live. Um, and I, I grew up in Louisiana. I've seen a lot of poor white people. Look, this is not the oppression Olympics, but I think um, uh, poor blacks or blacks and poor whites have more in common than they're led to believe. And if they actually got together and, and joined together and understood each other, it would they would be an unstoppable force in this country of, of fixing the, the, the wealth gap the the socioeconomic gap in, in this country but i think the, our politics politics are used to divide people and so look you drive through appalachia you drive through virginia you drive through louisiana you drive through mississippi you drive through arkansas you drive through some places in, on long island where we both live you'll see some poor white people and i think listen donald trump is his i think that's ignorance on his part it's probably willful ignorance in, in some sense but i look I understand where it comes from in him because he's grown, grown up in a place of privilege and um, he's probably grown up to learn and have been taught certain things about people of color. 
As you would know. Well, as you said, also, everything that Donald Trump does is transactional. Now, you may remember I had said to you, I believe it was even on one of um, your segments on CNN, when I said to you that Trump will not concentrate on the black vote because he felt that blacks were too stupid to vote for him. Do you remember I had told you that? And you just looked at me with that famous Don Lemon sort of like, what? What? So, <laughs> I, mean, I just I just remember watching your face as, as I said it to you and you looked and you're like there were so many things that you wanted to say. But, you know, you just can't use the right expletive for that one. Yeah. But speaking of being transactional, it is. But speaking of being transactional, he said the same thing about Republicans and conservatives or something very similar, that they're so stupid that I could get them to vote for me. I, I forget what the exact quote is, but I'm sure you've seen it before. All I'd have to do is this and basically exploit um, the, the, the forces in society that he exploited in order to win and gain uh, followers and supporters. And he did exactly that, and yet they still support him. It's really unreal. It's absolutely unreal. But I think blacks are not too stupid to support them. Blacks see right through them. Black, when it comes to racism, blacks are obviously, black people are obviously the canaries in the coal mine, as black journalists were in the beginning, as you know, calling out his racism and journalists of color, calling out his racism from the very beginning. And he didn't like that. And you knew that. You, I mean, you were there for it. You knew he didn't like it. He said he called me a racist because I uh, challenged him on his the whole birther thing that he um, was had delved in for so long and it, you know and beyond that but he didn't you know that's who he is that's what he is and you're never going to be able to change him because you're right that's who he is but don in your book you also compared trump to a symptom alerting internal disease what is the diagnosis trump reveals uh the racist cancer in our society that's what it is. The racist, uh, I think I said he was a perseverating, um, I forget what it was called, but, but he, is the, he is the melanoma that you go and you get diagnosed with, and then you have to figure out how to excise it or how to treat it. And so I think that he uncovered, for many people, especially for whites, like whites who thought, oh, okay, we're in a post-racial society, we have a, a, we've elected a black president twice now, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and then black people were like, uh, I don't know about that. I'm still, you know, being treated the same way I was. I'm still seeing the same racism. Uh, I'm still seeing Barack Obama getting a hard time. I'm still seeing people saying that he's Kenyan, uh, that he's Muslim, not that there's anything wrong with being Muslim uh, and all of these other things. You, you, know, you saw the the hate groups come out of the woodworks when Barack Obama um, was president. So I think that he he showed America itself that what was lurking for the most part just beneath the surface. You know, one of the big problems that I see and I have talked about is you recall when Barack Obama was running for president, there was such a call to action to the black and brown community to get the vote out there, to get out and make your vote count, which they did. And they voted in record numbers as a block. But that those numbers have not been duplicated since. And I'm kind of curious why you think something like that is happening. Why don't we see, especially knowing that there's so much on the line, why don't we see that same sort of enthusiasm or interest in the election from the black and brown community that we did when Barack Obama was running? 
Well, I think because there's only one Barack Obama, like there's only one Donald Trump. And, you know, if you get a black man that has a charisma and the story uh, and the history and the smarts and a resume of a Barack Obama, then you might see that. Look, I think the same thing will happen in 2024 if Donald Trump is not on the ticket. You won't see a turnout from conservatives. You won't see a turnout from whites like you would have if if he is on the ticket. You didn't see it before he was on the ticket. So I think there's a these are once in a lifetime sort of characters or people who come along. You know, there's one Kennedy, there's one Reagan, there's one, quite honestly, one Trump, uh, and there's one Barack Obama. So I think that obviously you're going to see black and brown people turn out because Barack Obama was a black man. So black folks were like, yeah, we want a black president. Let's see if this happens. <laughs> and so they galvanized together and they made it happen. So yeah, I, I see it. Well, personally, I would like to see the enthusiasm for whoever it might be, because it's that person that's going to change legislation. It's that person that's going to run this country. And look, I voted for Barack Obama. And when Trump found that, I, look, most people don't understand this. I've been a Democrat my entire life. I mean, I worked in 1987 for Congressman Joe Moakley out of Massachusetts. Everybody's like, oh, you're a Republican. You're a, why? Because Donald Trump was a Republican? First of all, Donald Trump's not a Republican. Oh, and by the way, he's no, he's not. Nor is he, nor is he an independent. Nor is he a, a Democrat. He's nothing thing. Donald Trump is just himself and transactional, totally transactional. And thank God that there's only one Donald Trump. But, you know, it's a big fear of mine that there could be another Donald Trump. But I would like just to see the enthusiasm come out because our country's really in a bad place right now. And we need we need clear thinking. We need, you know, this status quo nonsense that this Right is pushing, you know, through the Trumps, through the Josh Hawley's, through the Marjorie Taylor Greens, you know, through the Ted Cruz's, through the Mitch McConnell's. Yeah, they're scared shitless of the of here come the blacks. Right. They're going to take over our neighborhood. They're going to take over our country. I would like to see in all fairness, I would like to see, you know, the enthusiasm that existed when Barack Obama was running it, even if it's not 100 percent, I'd like to see 90 percent. Maybe it's just me. I don't know what I'm talking about. I think they learned from Donald Trump how to be outrageous and that that sort of bombast would get them attention and and uh, and possibly even vote. It certain votes. It certainly gets them more money because they uh, exploit um, the fears uh, of Republican voters, which are mostly white voters, that, yes, someone is going to take over your neighborhood or going to take over your country. Yeah, listen, I think that, of course, we would like more engagement in the elect- the electoral process. I think there should be, especially from black and brown people. And I think that we did see a lot of it, maybe not to the numbers of Barack Obama, but we did have record turnout in 2020 for Democrats, for Joe Biden, by the way, who's an older white man. And you had black folks turn out for him in droves and made the difference for him. Look at how um, how he was saved by, you know, by a, a, a black congressman. Right. He, he was on the outs, hadn't won anything. And then he goes down south and he wins. How did that happen? Black folks resurrected his campaign and black folks helped to elect him and put him in the highest office in the land. 
And um, so I think that there is engagement. I don't think you can expect as much if you don't have a black person on the ticket. I think that turns people out. And I think that, look, if you have a black Republican on the ticket, I don't think whites would show up to vote for him as, as much. If you have a brown Republican, say a, a Marco Rubio on the ticket, I don't think that you'd have you'd have as much support from whites. I just don't. Yes, but here's an observation. I believe Kamala Harris is black, so I would certainly hope that being that she was on the ticket, that that would have, again, brought out the enthusiasm that I was hoping to see again. But like I said, I don't disagree with you, but she's not Barack Obama. No, nobody is. She is a very accomplished, very smart Nobody is. She's not Barack Obama. You're right. And nobody is and nobody will, will ever be. Don, on May 25th was the one year anniversary of the death of George Floyd. Now, in that time, we saw a huge awakening in our country and a wave of protests unseen since the 1960s. Do you think that awakening will become permanent or are we in danger of forgetting the lessons of a year ago already? Uh, I think we are. Well, I think it's a combination, but I think the latter is probably going to happen, that we're in danger of just letting sort of letting the the events of 2020 and then the eventual verdict in 2021 just sort of wash away right there was this enthusiasm about um about learning about racism trying to correct some of the ills of of the past and and of our society when george floyd right after george floyd happened you were witness to it you knew about that every people were concerned you know people you even called me to talk about it a lot of a lot of my white friends call me to talk about i can't believe this is going on um i don't have the tools or the vocabulary to be able to talk to my friends and especially my kids i don't want my kids growing up in this sort of world what do i do don i feel like i've let my black friends down because i have not um i haven't uh heard them or even in many ways believed some of the issues that they dealt with and some of the things that they go through. Uh, and then if you look at the polling, the support for Black Lives Matter, the support for police reform, the support for making changes when it comes to race in this country. If you look at it then versus now, you see that people have um, have really sort of dialed out, right? They become sort of immune or numb to it. And they're like, eh, okay, we've done enough already. I'm just ready to get back to my normal life the way things used to be. So I think that we have obviously made some progress if you look at the verdict, right, a guilty verdict. But then I think people, you know, after a while, they just sort of want to go back to normal. I really hope that that's not true. And I hope that's just being the Don Lemon pessimistic side because. No, I'm optimistic that it's going to change, but I think we're in danger. (laughs) Your question was, are we in danger? I do think that we're in danger. And the only way that it's going, that we're going to uh, make a difference to keep it, to make it permanent, which was part of your question, is that with people who have platforms and who have profiles and who have some degree of celebrity, who have some degree of influence in society that they just like the events of January 6th, you have to keep reminding people, you have to keep reminding people of the racism in the country, why George Floyd happened. You have to use your platform to stay on top of it. That's all I'm saying. But I am optimistic. I really am. And do you think that maybe the fact that they're going to hopefully uh, enact the George Floyd uh, Act, do you think that that will help to keep First of all, it'll certainly help to keep his name alive, but to keep sort of this movement um, alive, which I I hope that it does. I mean, you know, I think as Americans, I think we are so much 
more than what we've been showing to the rest of the world, especially over the course of the past, you know, four years under Trump's administration. So I certainly do hope that that passes and it's not just going to be um, something of the past and forgotten about. Uh, would you say, do, am I hopeful? Is that what you're, what's, your, what's your question? Yeah, are you hopeful? Yeah, I am hopeful. I mean, I, I know I don't sound like it. I'm just I'm just being um, I, I pragmatic and um you know i i have i have seen us you know move to the precipice of change before and then all of a sudden fall back and i don't want to see that happen this time so i'm just being cautious uh about it about my optimism there's is i can can i say cautiously optimistic michael i think that's fair to say okay i think that is fair to say but i do but here's what i think we have to do We've got to start teaching the real history of this country in schools early on. We've got to stop, you know, pretending that America started uh, when Columbus came. Uh, look, if you want to say Columbus found the country that what it is today, fine, do that. But I, that's not that's not what really happened. I think that Europeans conquered America. And uh, that's to, to say otherwise is insulting to the Native Americans, the people who were here before. And quite frankly, the rules and the laws that some of our laws and our country was based on came from Native American law. So um, I think we have to stop trying to erase Native American people and erase the accomplishments and the contributions of people of color um, that people of color made to this country, building it for free, slave labor, uh, here before the Mayflower. And we have to start honoring and recognizing some of that. And, And once we do that, then you have less of a chance to have an insurrection because people don't believe that the country was built in their image, that America started the first day that white people got to this country. And so I think if you do that and you start teaching people the true history of this country, then they start operating in reality and then you'll begin to chip away at racism. Scrotal distancing? Ever heard of it? I'm not talking about running away from our Cheeto-dusted former president or Rudy the Nudie Giuliani. They're scroters of different sack. But if you're struggling to separate the guys from your thighs, it's simple for Tommy John's hammock pouch underwear. I'm not kidding here, folks. The underwear is the real deal, and I keep begging them to send me more because they're so damn comfortable. When you're wearing Tommy John's hammock pouch underwear, you're that much more comfortable so you can do everything better. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. Fanatics that call Tommy John's hammock pouch one of life's greatest inventions. With dozens of comfort innovations, once you've tried Tommy John underwear, you're never going back. Like an air mesh interior hammock and moisture wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands. With over 13 million pairs sold, balls across America love Tommy John underwear because everything stays in place. So no more flopping, sticking, or chafing. Tommy John underwear has a non-rolling waistband for the perfect fit. The legs never ride up, and you're covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear, or it's free. Guaranteed. And right now, you'll get 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com slash Cohen. That's 20% off your first order of underwear and loungewear at TommyJohn.com slash Cohen. TommyJohn.com slash Cohen. See the site for details. Well, Don, you recently reported on the GOP's obsession with critical race theory. Now, this... 
Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, who I fucking despise, and I say it all the time, I fucking despise Ron DeSantis, has made... Why don't you say how you really feel? I can't help myself sometimes. My mom gets mad at me. I'm sorry, mom, if you're listening, which I know you are, but and she's from Florida. I fucking hate Ron DeSantis. Has made it his mission to ban its teaching in Florida schools. And it's become part of a package of GOP talking points when trying to score points against so-called woke cancel culture. Now, so many of my listeners understand what is critical race theory and how have the GOP just got it so wrong? I mean, this, this question sort of makes me angry, but it's something I really do have to ask you. Well, I think so. Let me talk two things. This whole idea of wokeness and woke culture, I understand there's a legitimate conversation to be had about wokeness and canceling or whatever and what it really means. But I think people take it to the extreme. And I think now wokeness has become for the GOP. Uh, they, it has become anything anytime that they, they can't say what they want to say, something that's racist or bigoted or ignorant or wrong, then they blame it on wokeness or cancel culture. It has become this default that everything that they that they get criticized for, even if it's legitimate, even if they legitimately get criticized for it, they blame it on wokeness and cancel culture. So critical race theory is really just about teaching people the true history of the country. That's it. It's about talking about the contributions of people of color to this country. It's not about blaming people or guilting people. It's just about the truth. And so the truth is all the time. The truth isn't pretty all the time, as you know. So let's talk about the truth of um, about getting rid of Indians in this country, the trail of tears. Let's talk about the truth of slavery, the truth of the founding of this country. Let's talk about the truth about how we treated you know, immigrants like Irish people and Italian people. All of that is true. So all of it can be um, the uh, critical race theory, the 1619 project, the way traditionally American history has been taught with, you know, 1492, Columbus sailing the ocean blue, and then 1776 and the Declaration of Independence. All of those things can exist together. It's not, they don't, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. But the, the people on the right, and especially white Americans, are telling people that we don't want to change the way, we don't want to correct the wrong of the way history is taught and understood in this country. And so that's the problem. So that's why school districts and the right and mostly whites, they don't want to do it because, again, it is fear. They want to be the preeminent voice. They want to be the, the image that the country was made in. And it's just a lie. What drives me crazy is when you're in school, you learn that one plus one equals two. And it doesn't make a difference what state that you're in. It doesn't make a difference what country that you're in. One plus one will always equal two. And history, well, right, that was the point I was making. History is history. It's facts. It already happened, so we know that it's actually true. There's no innuendo. There's no guessing. History is history. And I just don't understand why they can't accept what's wrong with teaching about Native American Indians. What's wrong about teaching about how the Jews were enslaved in Egypt? What's wrong about talking about how... Blacks were brought to this country for free labor because you take the focus off of white people because then you don't you don't you take the focus off of white people and that white people founded the country and that the country was built in the image of white people. That's just that's just the God's honest truth. That's why they don't want to do it. 
And I know that, you know, some people will get upset. This has nothing to do with racism or me being some race bait or I hate when people do that, but they do it. And I understand it. This is just, as you said, one plus one equals two. This is the truth. There's nothing wrong with teaching the history of this country. And the history of our country includes all of that. All of that. The history, the way it is taught now, it's taught and used to elevate some white people and their contributions and to denigrate and lower others, black and brown people and other people than whites, than white Christians. That's all. That's that's it. And if you've been taught that your entire life, then what else are you going to believe? And if someone tries to teach something different, you're going to fight against it because you don't know any better. That's called ignorance. And that's the whole reason <laughs> that you should want to learn the truth, because who wants to be ignorant? Okay. But if this is the case, then what then are the teachers teaching the students in fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade in history class? I mean, history is history. Just go to a date, pull it up. Oh, that's the date that Frederick Douglass made a speech, right? Okay, right? What are you going to do? You're going to change his name to Fred Douglasstein and make him Jewish? What are you going to do? You're going to make no, his name no, to no, no. Fred Doug- Dugstone and make him from a no. white Anglo-Saxon Protestant? No, no, no. But, but also, there's so much in history, Michael, that's not even mentioned or taught in the history books. In my book, I write about the German coast uprising that happened in Louisiana, uh, you know, but when Baton Rouge was first starting and, the, and between there was this, they called it the German coast between Baton Rouge and and New Orleans. But no one it's not in any of the history books. People don't it's it's you, it's not in your primer or primer, whatever, whatever you want to call it. People don't talk about it because they don't know about it. Because that's not traditionally the way history is taught in this country. There's so many black people, so many people of color whose names are erased or just not even mentioned in the history books. And that's the problem. That's why you need a critical race theory or that's why you need a 1619 project is to not even remind people of that. It's to make them aware of events and people throughout our history. Don, I, I want to switch gears for a moment and talk to you about the GOP's refusal to address the Capitol riots in a formal 9-11 style commission. Now, if the Democrats can't get the votes in the Senate, they'll just convene their own select committee, which still has subpoena power. How is a Democrat-led commission any less powerful than one that would be watered down by the GOP? Remember that their Benghazi commission did plenty of damage, and most of that was made up. Now, won't a focused House Select Committee investigation into January 6th be just as effective in the long run, or am I missing something? I think it can be just as effective, and I think it can be just as powerful. But you, in order for it to be as effective as you want and to make the difference with the people you, it needs to be made a difference with, is that you're going to have to have acknowledgement from the people who helped to incite it the people who contributed to the environment, the people who are denying it, is that they must agree. They have to admit their role in it. And they have to understand, they have to get the the supporters and the people who are believing in the big lie. They have to get those people to understand that it is a lie. And your chances of getting those people to understand or even admit or um, for it to penetrate 
even in the smallest, most minuscule way that it was a lie and that and that the people acted the way they did in the Capitol, that it wasn't Antifa and it wasn't left wing uh, activists and actors and all of that. The only way that you're going to get that to happen is if you have Republicans involved. So if you do it when it's just a select committee from Democrats, they're going to say, oh, it's Democrat led this and it's a Democrat, not even democratically because they use the, the term uh, improperly. It, it's it, it, They're going to think it's partisan and that it's a, um, a witch hunt against the former president and Republicans. And so that's why I think you need I think you need buy in just for the truth. Just for the truth and for reality, you need buy-in from Republicans. Does it not drive you crazy like it does me that every time a Democrat talks about the January 6th insurrection, the only thing that Republicans come out and say, yeah, but what about all of the rioting and all the damage done during Black Lives Matter protests? Does that, I mean, tell me your, your thoughts on that, because it so irritates me. I just find it to be such a stupid response, but it's a response that they use all the time. It's, be, it's because that's all they have. That and that it was not them because it couldn't be them. There's no way that they could act that way. No, it's just it's of course they're going to do it. I mean, is it infuriating? Yes. And uh, am I surprised by it? I'm absolutely not surprised by it. And so, listen, and all of the unrest that you had and, and the rioting or whatever, none of that should have happened. The thing is, is that you can if you ask any Democrat, if you ask any black person, should this happen? No, this was terrible. People took advantage of the legitimate protesters and they did things that shouldn't have happened. Ask anybody to a person. Just go. If you keep it, let's keep it in the political realm. Go ask any congressman or any senator or any Democratic president and see what they say about the the rioting, not the legitimate protesters, but the rioting. They will denounce it to a person. Ask any Republican about the insurrection and what will you get? It didn't happen. It was left wing um, activists. It was uh, Antifa. It was Black Lives Matter. When everybody can see for their own with their own eyes and hear with their own ears that that's not what it was. So, of course, they're going to say it because one side is not operating in reality, except one side is not using logic. So, yeah, it's infuriating. But what are you going to do? How are you going to argue against people who are not arguing logically? Well, you can't. And that's what I was going to bring up. What I don't understand is that so many of these Republicans are saying things that are so stupid and so inaccurate and just so out of left field. They're doing it, obviously, because they want to retain their own power, because they think that their base, this will keep their base um, energized for them and their upcoming campaigns. Because as you know, as a politician, the day after you win the election— Right. You're already campaigning again for the next election. For the next exactly. Election. <laughs> now, what we know is that 30 percent of all of the Republicans ballpark are pro Trumpers and they're with him to the very end. But you can't win an election with 30 percent. And I'm curious how like, again, let's go back to the Mitch McConnell's, the Ted Cruz, the Josh Hawley's and so on. 30 percent should not be the denominator. That if you get 30%, right, that therefore you're a guaranteed winner. 
because there's 70% of the people that are still out there. Maybe we'll call them the sane Republicans that are willing to vote these, these crazies out of office. What's the likelihood of something like this? And how did that 30% become the denominator? Well, because that 30% is keeping the Republican Party together, right? Because, at least right now, because that's where the passion and the energy are right now. Because they, it's giving them something to galvanize over and about, right? It was, it was, it was stolen. It was fake. So then you can sort of create the laws around that, your own laws, right? You can suppress the vote around that. You can make it legal to suppress to suppress votes. And then you can gerrymander around that. So that's that's all that's happening. That small, that thirty percent of whatever those are your numbers of uh, Republicans that you say are the people who are um, doing what they're doing right now. The Trumpsters, they're they are rigging, basically rigging the electoral process. It's minority rule. That's what they're doing. And other Republicans are doing this and this, and I'm covering my eyes and and closing my ears. Uh, They're doing that because it keeps them in power as well. And it keeps the party afloat because the Republicans right now are not selling anything, not selling much of what they're selling. The public is not buying. Agreed. And they know it. So they have to figure out a way to ensure that they can win in the in the in the near future. Yeah, but that passion that you refer to, that energy, it's, it doesn't happen long term. This what the, their strategy they're doing now is not a long term strategy. Eventually, they will lose. In the short term, it might work though. Sorry, that's okay. It's again the passion, the energy you're referring to. It's not. I don't see it as passion and energy. I see it as just raw hate. It's raw hate for somebody else, and if it's going to be a hate based upon the color of your skin or your your sex or your you know your sexual orientation or your nationality i don't know but it's all predicated on hate but michael but what motivates people hate and fear that's a th- those are two very strong motivators it, it most certainly is. I'm curious, though, if you saw the recent Jonathan Swan Axios interview with Liz Cheney, where he presses her on refusing to connect Trump's election lie with the rash of voter suppression bills being pushed across the states. I don't understand why she would stop short of recognizing what is so obvious that these laws were created to appease the president and to roll back gains by black and brown voters at the ballot box. Uh, I spoke with Jonathan about that and I, it it defies logic. I don't understand why she doesn't see the connection because the whole idea, every of what's happening across the country with these voter suppression laws, what they stemmed from the big lie. They stem from the president saying that the election was stolen, that it was rigged. And therefore people uh, tried to, people are trying to enact and enacting these laws uh, because of those lies. And I don't see the logic. I don't understand why she doesn't see it or just doesn't want to admit it. She says there's a her quote uh, in Jonathan's interview is that there's there's voter fraud. So I don't understand I'm speaking uh, as she was. Um, she said, I don't understand why we don't have voter ID and blah, 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 blah. OK, you can find you can believe that there is some fraud in every election, which we know, but there's not major fraud. There's never been a study. There's never been any evidence at all of major voter fraud in this country 
to the levels that will make a difference. Actually, it's very it's minuscule. And the ones that we have been finding lately have been what? For Republicans who have voted twice or voted for dead people for Donald Trump or who have been trying to rig the election in a way that helps the former president. And even the former president tried to do it with the Georgia secretary of state. So (laughs) I don't understand why she doesn't see it, why, you know, it's not connecting for her or maybe she just doesn't want to go that far. I have no idea. I mean, I love it when you guys play that um, Raffensperger um, telephone call with Trump, where he's saying, you got to find me. You got to find me those votes. I just need 11,000. I need it. Yeah. It's one thing if Don Lemon says it, these people will not believe it. It's another thing if Michael Cohen says it. Those same people will not believe a word coming out of either of our mouths. But these are words coming out of the man's mouth himself. And, you know, (laughs) that's the funny thing about these recordings, right? What is he going to say now? That wasn't me? That's not what I meant? Of course it's exactly what he meant. And what's the story now where they turned over a whole bunch of these voting machines to some Republican-based company that was supposed to review the machines. How do we now know that those machines aren't rigged themselves? No, that's a, that's a, the issue. I don't think that you have the um, Arizona Secretary of State and Arizona, I should say, election officials now saying they don't think that they can use those machines again because they've been compromised. And they're probably easily hackable. So, I mean, it's all a big farce. That's the whole thing, Michael, where I said about people with um, a platform, people who want to speak the truth. And it has nothing. Listen, this, Michael, this has nothing to do with left versus right or Democrat versus Republican. This is right versus wrong. This is about an attack on our democracy. And, and so I mean, what's happening in Arizona is a farce. What's happening around the country with these restrictive, restrictive voter laws and these lawmakers who are buying into this big lie about the election was stolen, it's all a farce. It's all a lie. And that's why I say people who are in positions of power, who have platforms, who know the truth, have to use those platforms to speak out and counter the lies and the bullshit. Yeah, one day, wouldn't that just be nice if everybody would just tell the truth the way that it is, right? Well, good luck with that, Yeah, I'm sure. Now, (laughs) Don, at what point do you believe these GOP leaders who are absolutely, and I still don't understand why, enthralled to Trump and their own base will give up on the big lie and abandon him as their leader? Will we have to go to prison or just get roundly beaten in the midterms? What's what's the answer here? Well... Uh, uh, it kind of goes back to um, your last question about why it's so important to have a bipartisan commission, right? Um, I think that you're going to, I think that people are going to, I think people need now, um, you know, deep, some deep immersion. Um, what is it? Do, what is it called when you used to meet with a family member or a loved An one? An intervention? It's going to have to be some sort of intervention. I don't really know what it is. I think Republicans are going to have to start losing badly uh, in order for it to get through. And then they're still going to fight for it. That's why I said the death nails of white supremacy. We're in the, the, in the death throes of white supremacy. That's where we are right now. And people are going to fight harder. Uh, the longer the, the, the more the numbers start diminishing and people start to see other people besides you know, 
certain groups, certain uh, certain groups of white people, or just white people in general, who are who won't be the majority. When people start to, um, when that starts to happen, people are just going to keep fighting more and more and more and more desperately than they had been before. the The insurrection was a desperate, desperate act, and when people are desperate, they do crazy things. You think Trump? They do irrational things. And, and January 6th was definitely an irrational act. Oh, absolutely. A family was recently surprised to receive a change of address notification they never requested. This was an attempt to steal their mail and gain access to a lot of personal information that cyber criminals can use to steal their identities. It's now easier than ever for cyber criminals to get a hold of your personal information and turn your life upside down. The all-in-one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to have protection in the digital world. Norton 360 with LifeLock gives you comprehensive protection for devices, online privacy, and identity. Device security blocks cyber criminals from stealing personal information. VPN with bank rate encryption helps keep information you send over Wi-Fi safe. LifeLock Identity Theft Protection monitors your personal information and alerts you to potential threats. Now, no one can prevent all cybercrime and identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But if you have Norton 360 with LifeLock, you can opt into cyber safety. So sign up today and save 25% or more off your first year by going to Norton.com slash Cohen. That's 25% off Norton 360 with LifeLock at Norton.com slash Cohen. Do you think Trump has to go to prison before which Trumpism starts to get squashed? Or is it something that will survive even post a Trump prison um, term. Look, I'm not a juror or jurist or whatever. I'm not like, I can't say, would just Trump have to go to prison? If he's guilty of something, then he should pay the consequences for it, whether that's prison or not, whatever that is, whatever a jury of his peers decides for him or prosecutors or what have you in, in the legal system, then that that's what must be done. Uh, I do think that we have to stop platforming, promoting, the lies and the and the misinformation, because that's uh, in many ways, that's what he wants. And that's what his supporters want to keep them relevant, to keep them in the news. I do think that after you expose someone or people for who they are, I don't think that you have to continue to elevate them by giving them a platform. And I think that look, look at what happened once he was deplatformed from Twitter. Look at what happened. He wasn't able to spread his, the misinformation um, with the with a push of a thumb, the way that he had been able to before. So I think we need to re-examine all those things, who we give platforms to, who we give our platforms to, who we um, elect to public office, uh, and who we give our votes to. Yes, but unfortunately, so much has come out about Trump. He has been exposed for being so many things. He's been exposed for being a racist. He's been exposed for being a sexist, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semitic. 
This is who the man has been exposed. And yet, there's still that same strong base that if Donald Trump walked down Fifth Avenue, as he said so many times before, he could shoot someone and get away with it. The question I was really asking you about him going to prison is not so much about him committing dirty deeds, him breaking the law, and no one being above the law and having to pay the same consequence that I did, but more about destroying Trumpism because these people look up to him like a god. And somewhere along the line, this sort of has to stop. People have to turn around, put the visine in their eyes, and realize that this man is as morally bankrupt as any human being that has ever existed on this planet. Mm -hmm. And yes, but what does that say about you if you're easily co-opted with that? It means that if he can exploit you so easily. Well, it means that you fell into the cult of Trump. Many people have, myself included, right? And somewhere along the line, um, I opened up my eyes. And of course, my eyes got opened up when I got kicked in the face by the SDNY who came down at me like a ton of bricks. So that's a better question for you then, Michael. What do you think has to happen for, in order for people to not, you know, to to break the spell, so to speak? I think he has to be fully exposed. And I think um, he does have to go to prison along with um, guys like Alan Weisselberg, Don Jr., Ivanka, Eric, Josh Hawley, all of those that were involved in um, the attempted overthrow of our democracy. Oh, you're talking about going to prison because of the insurrection. I no, thought you meant for no, other I'm talking things. About for you're talking everything. about everything. I'm talking about for everything. for everything. Well, let me ask you this, then, because I know you said you're turning the tables. You're interviewing me. Now I'm interviewing you again. <laughs> <laughs> what else is new? The, 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 the good old days. So, you know, I should have. Been- you know, I should have. You know, I should have hit you with my car that time that you and your boyfriend were driving in the Hamptons and you drove like a lunatic. No, we were, we were running. No, you weren't. No, you were I was on your running. bicycle, I think. And you shot across the. Oh, I thought I was. Now you shot across the street over there, I was, and I had to slam on my brakes. I was jogging, and you were turning in the intersection, and you tried to run over me. That's <laughs> that's what happened. So, but what? How has it been for you to watch this now? This interesting turn with the attorney general and the state's attorney. Well, let's just say I'm gleeful. I'm extremely happy to see that the hard work of the district attorney. And the hard work of the Attorney General Tish James is paying off. And we saw, of course, Tish James elevate her claim against Trump and the company and others from civil to criminal. That in and of itself should have automatically sparked fear in Trump, which it has. I believe yesterday after that big announcement of the uh, in paneling of the grand jury, he probably had to change his depends three or four times during the day. But I can assure you that this move by the attorney general to criminal is something that caused him significant consternation. Now, for me, I'm really happy to see all of this happening because I also believe that there's going to be a lot of information that's going to shed more light on what happened to me in terms of the prosecution. And that's something that I've wanted to see. It's something I know certain politicians have put in FOIA requests and under the old Trump administration with Bill Barr at the helm of the DOJ, they have been unable to attain those documents. So my hope is that those documents again become released and that way it will continue to expose Trump for the 
for the individual that he is, for the corrupt individual that he is. And one thing I am, you brought this up, the fact that they took away his platform. Well, they did. Twitter did and other social medias. But don't forget, the guy now has become a blogger. Right now, he's not getting the same sort of immediate attention so that the perpetuation of the big lie is much more difficult. But yet I don't see too many of these followers believing anything less today than they did a month ago or six months ago. And that sort of scares me. Knowing what you know now, where do you see this legal thing going, Michael? You're an attorney. Well, as I said once before, and people sort of enjoyed the comment, my, um, my, grand, my grandmother used to say this a lot. Uh, I would say that Trump is of gechaktetzuris, right? That's a Yiddish word for he's, in, he's got some real troubles on his hands. It's not just him. Uh, I think Rudy Giuliani and the taking of his electronic devices is just another thorn in Trump's ass. I think Rudy's in trouble. I think that Don Jr., Eric, Ivanka, Jared, I think the whole lock, stock, and barrel of them are all in trouble because they've done things, and it will be shown through documentary evidence that they've done things, that they will not be able to escape the criminal justice system. Because as you know, so many Democrats have said over the years, right, no one is above the law. But you know, Don, as we're winding down the hour, I have one more question that I want to ask you. It's kind of it's a, no. I don't have any money. I can't loan you any money. <laughs> Thank God. To uh, follow up, to follow up on the midterms, I wanted to discuss for a moment just what's at stake if the GOP does take back Congress, and then we have this unprecedented situation where a failed and seditious ex-president is leading their party. Do you see the GOP taking back the House, or is? The scenario I just laid out enough to scare folks to the polls to make sure that this doesn't happen. I think the scenario that you laid out should be enough to scare people to the polls. I don't know if it will, but I do see that that could happen. That could absolutely 100 percent happen. And if that does, you're, you ask me what was on the line, um, the courts, more courts, because, you, you, as you know, uh, the you know the the assault in the judiciary that Donald Trump had had throughout the country, uh, putting in judges that will that he thought uh, would would carry his water. Um, if you believe in um, the right to choose for women, that is definitely on the line. We see that playing out right now. If you believe in in same sex marriage, uh, that is on the line. If you believe in um, a an unrestricted that every person who is eligible to vote should be able to vote with ease. Uh, that is on the line. Um, democracy as we know it is on the line. Truth and reality are on the line if that does indeed happen. And you could see a return of the former guy in 2024 if that is a, if that if that happens. Right. I definitely and I've said this um Many, many times, I don't believe that Trump is going to be on that ticket. I don't believe that he's going to be running for president in 2024. I think the only thing he's... You're not the only person who said that, who knows him uh, and who has worked with him, who, who said that and said they don't, they don't think it hap- it's going to happen. He just wants to be the kingmaker. That's, that's correct. And again, it goes right back to the term that you've used a few times during this podcast, and that's transactional. And if you take a look to see... The way that Donald Trump stacked the courts, the federal courts, as well as every opportunity uh, to put somebody on the Supreme Court when the opportunity arose. Donald Trump doesn't have an idea 
who any of these individuals are. He received a list, I think it was from the Heritage Foundation, of like 100 yeah. judges. And when it came time for the Supreme Court judges, he didn't know Amy Comey Barrett. If, if he walked past mm-hmm. her down the street, he wouldn't have known her. He never met with her in the White House before he decided to nominate her. There's a fucking piece of paper in front that has 30 names onto it. And he turns around, uh, eeny, uh, meeny, miny, uh, mo. Yeah, that's good. It's a, it's a woman. It's, it was transactional for him. He wanted a woman mm-hmm. because um, of, uh, what do you call it, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing, and he thought that it would play well for the women in the event that there was uh, in the re-election. So everything with him was completely transactional. And he decided that he would look to see which person that might go his way in the event that there's a case that's going to be brought against him. Because at that point in time, the district attorney's case was before the Supreme Court in order to obtain his tax returns, something that he desperately tried to keep out of the sight of the district attorney and obviously the country. Right. So too late. Now. Well, way too late. And I have to take credit for that. Uh, but the important thing is that people have to understand that this ideology that he created is so dangerous to the future of this democracy that I really do hope, and I say this so often, I really do hope that people get to the polls of all races, religions, creeds, colors. It makes no difference. You got to get to the poll and you have to vote for what's right because there's so much on the line right now. Never before really in, the, in this country's history has so many different things been on the agenda all at the same time. At least I can't remember. I think you're right. I mean, you will get no argument from me. Well, that's a first. For what you just said. <laughs> that's a first. <laughs> well, Don, it's so good to see you. It's so good to speak to you. Um, this is really good, Michael. You're pretty good at this. I'm not well, lying. I th- that, that, this is really great. I really do. Thank you. And your energy you bring to it is great. Yeah. I really thank you, and I thank you for your show each and every night. I enjoy it, and I do know that Trump watches your show each and every night. So every night you should be giving him a little shout-out. It's good for his ego, right? It makes, <laughs> it'll make him feel a little bit better. But I want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank you for everything that you do and for you know keeping the, the fight where the fight needs to be. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed the conversation. The same. I'll see you soon. You got it. Later, buddy. And now for today's mea culpa. The refusal of GOP senators to vote for the establishment of a January 6th commission to investigate the riot is a terrible precedent that will haunt the party for years to come. But it's for that very same reason that they voted no. McConnell and the other senators know that lurking under the rug is evidence that implicates some of them in connection with the attacks and all of them for having tolerated Trump's election lies. They enabled him for years and played along with his charade, adding fuel to the fire. They are culpable, not just for January 6th, but for the environment and preconditions that allowed it to happen. We watched as he telegraphed his intentions at MAGA rallies and during a goddamn debate. But nobody spoke up. They were too worried about their own power and access to Trump. And when it blew up in their face, as any thinking person knew that would, they shrugged their shoulders and walked away. Now we're asking for accountability. And I'm sorry, this isn't just on Donald Trump. 
It's on every person who sat idle while he lied, bullied, and fucking cajoled his way to Washington. Frankly, it's on me for creating Trump as a modern candidate. Somewhere in the back of my mind, even then, I should have known that this would be the end result. But looking forward, all of these men are moral cowards and fucking hypocrites for their unwillingness to go before the American people and make their own mea culpas. Instead, they'd rather pretend it never happened. Not only is it politically expedient, but the new lies that are being spun about what happened that day seem to be working as well. A new poll shows that a full 73% of Republicans believe that the riots were a result of leftist agitators versus the mob that actually showed up. The more they are allowed to sweep this under the rug, the more cover they are given to spin this new web of lies and confuse their supporters. It sickens me, and it should sicken you. But that doesn't mean there won't be a full accounting of that day. Democrats are still within their power to set up a select committee. They will enjoy full subpoena power and carry all the same authority. It just won't be bipartisan, and thus it will be subject to a fusillade of misinformation, lies, and other bullshit that's been levied at the investigation. That said, the truth always finds a way of getting out, no matter what. And a select committee, if that's what it has to be for the moment, is better than nothing. People still need closure on what happened that terrible day. The trauma is still very real and very fresh. The families of the policemen and women injured and killed that day deserve answers as well. But typical of the GOP in its current incarnation, there's only one task that matters protecting Donald Trump, and by proxy, protecting themselves. Until we rid ourselves of this terrible dynamic, we will be stuck in limbo. The country deserves better. Who will stand up and do what's right? And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea Culpa. Nothing but the truth. Hey, movie lovers. Who needs a theater when you have Pluto TV? Grab your popcorn and your streaming device because free movies are here. Pluto TV is your home for movies. Great movies are playing anytime in over 20 exclusive movie channels of action, horror, rom-coms, and more. Watch hits like Saving Private Ryan, Pretty in Pink, and Charlie's Angels all for free. No signups, no fees, no contracts. Ever. Download the free Pluto TV app on any device. Yeah.
smile.